You've seen their TV shows. You've watched their webcasts. Now, Hartigan and Stapes invite you to Poker in the Ears. Hello, my babies, and welcome to Poker in the Ears. I am Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton. Here's my work wife, James Hartigan. Happy birthday, Joe. You're sounding a little bit gruff today. Gruff. Oh, just uh, just stressed out, my friend. Just stressed out. And you know what? I could really use today's episode. Coming up on today's show, it's health and fitness part two. Mind over muscle. That's right. Let's do that one more time. Health and fitness part two. Mind over muscle. A few months back, <laughs> we showed you that you could be good at poker and also cut from marble. Just, just shredded. But today, today's episode is all about getting your brain shredded. Okay. That doesn't Maybe that work. was no, that was a bad choice of words. <laughs> uh, let's get your brain in shape okay. here on Poker in the Ears, Health and Fitness Part Two. Mind over muscle. Here to help us with that later on, mind coach and mental mentor to the poker stars, Elliot Rowe is going to be on the show. Not going to lie, James, I'm a skeptic when it comes to this sort of thing, so I am pretty interested to hear what he has to say. Oh, and I might as well mention the reason why I am so stressed out is I'm in Biloxi, Mississippi, where I am on the set of the card counter. I cannot share everything that's going on, but I do have a few anecdotes approved. We'll get to that later on in the show. This is so hilarious. Joe Stapleton gets a proper job where he has responsibility, call times, and suddenly your life starts falling apart. You can't cope. Well, is I mean, look, there's a major conflict today. Like we are, we're kind of. I need to go right to set uh, as soon as this show is over. So um, that's why I'm very stressed out. I was more or less up all night. Um, speaking of movies, we are yeah. revisiting uh, one most of us like the first time around. Uh, the first Guy Ritchie movie that most Americans saw because Brad Pitt was in it. We're talking Snatch. That is this week's super fan subject. Remember, if you want to be a super fan, leave us a nice glowing review wherever you download the podcast. Take a screenshot of it. Fire it at us using the hashtag poker in the ears and let us know what your super fan subject uh, of choice is. Uh, James, do you remember we did those? We tried to do those Snatch related skits. I don't, to be honest. I mean, I remember the skits, and I remember that when we did the EPT in London and when we were making the TV shows, we did some sketches in and around London, and there was one year where we themed all of them around movies. I distinctly remember you dressing up as Harry Potter. I remember us going to Hatton Garden, but I remember us referencing Eyes Wide Shut because that's where Kubrick filmed some of the New York scenes for that movie. I honestly have no recollection of us referencing Snatch, not to say it didn't happen. I, I remember one. I remember I pitched a few, and I think we ended up not doing them because they all involved violence and robberies and yeah, things like that. That probably doesn't go particularly well. And I know there was one about me swallowing a chew toy that never ended up getting made like the dog does in the movie. But I, there was one that I think we did, and it's kind of cringe, where I do like like a very stereotypical like Jewish-American, like Israeli... I don't know what, even what it is, that accent where you're like, oh, booby, like that kind of thing. Again. To pretend to be Jewish so I would get further in Hollywood. And maybe it's better we don't we don't revisit I was going to say, I, I've clearly blocked it out of my mind. And let's hope <laughs> that there isn't video of that somewhere on YouTube. Everyone starts frantically searching for it on YouTube. We um, need the clicks. I mean... We always say that at the time, so many of those sketches were utterly cringe-inducing, and yet we look back on it so fondly because now we're kind of in and out when we go to an event. The next one we'll be going to, of course, is Sochi later this month. And in order to visit Russia, it's very important to have a visa. And Joe, you spoke the other week about flying to New York, and luckily, combining your meeting with Oscar Isaac with your uh, application for a Russian visa, I went to the Russian Visa Center in London this week. Now, I appreciate that most of the people listening to this show will not be able to sympathize with my situation because they probably never applied for a Russian visa. But something that everyone is going to be on board with is the intricacies of filling out an online application form and the universal usage of what I like to call the red asterisk. On an application, if something has a red asterisk against it, it means you have to fill it out. You have mm -hmm. to complete that field. If there's a field that doesn't have a red asterisk, it's kind of optional, right? It's not required. 
because that's the code. That's the system. And I can tell you, because this is the second year I've done it now, <laughs> that when you fill out the form for a Russian visa, it will not let you press save. It will not let you yeah. click submit if you have not filled out all of the fields with a red asterisk. You leave the other stuff blank. Who cares? It's optional. Except the lady at the Russian visa center was not happy with me, Joe, because I hadn't <laughs> filled out every field of the application form. And I decided to explain to her in no. painstaking terms. James, come on, just do what they say. The university. Yeah, but think about it. If I, if I back down and go, sorry, I've got to go through the whole process again. I've got to start a new application, fill out this multi-page online application form again, come back to the visa center another time and go through the whole process. I'm sorry, me is time poor. I do not have the mental or physical capacity to deal with this. So I decide to start making a thing out of it and producer Ben is with me because he's getting his visa on the same day. And of course, he's texting everyone back in the office. Hartigan's kicking off at the woman at the Russian <laughs> visa center. This cannot end well. And apparently I did my voice. You've been in that situation where I get on my... I saw you do it at TSA. I saw you almost get detained. Yeah. When I get voice. on my moral high horse, when I get on my soapbox... But you know what, Joe? I won. James versus Russia. Won in the James column. Now, granted... I don't actually have the visa in my passport yet, nor have I actually been admitted into the Russian Federation. However, she accepted the application form, took my money, rubber stamped it. I think we're good to go. Well, I had a, a similar thing happen, except that I didn't argue. Um, there was a there was a, a, a field in the form that asked me uh, who my current employer was. And I was just like, I, I don't have one. And she was very upset that I didn't have a current employer. I just filled it out. I was like, okay, uh, uh, I'm self-employed. Um, and not only did I do that, but like I went through and deleted any tweet in which I mentioned the word Russia just in case uh, yeah. social media was a thing. So I'm not going to complain at all. Everyone was lovely. <laughs> they were very nice. Russia is one of my favorite countries. I had a great time there. I don't know, James, I'm in here. I'm in Mississippi doing this movie they're supposed to fedex my my visa to me my passport with the visa uh glued into it yeah uh on the 6th of march i don't know who's gonna be there to collect it um so that's gonna be uh, a bit of a sweat before we had uh before we head out there wow. assuming i am approved wow uh, just before i ask you about what's been happening because i'm fascinated how it's been going because i know you've been there what since sunday now and principal photography's underway so i know you've been working the last few days just a couple of quick things i finally started watching the new season of curb your enthusiasm and oh, i'm man. very much enjoying it as i said before i do feel that some of the more recent seasons have not been all that but this does feel like a slight return to form from the word go from the very first scene of the very first episode the moment with the selfie stick is just genius um the other thing i wanted to mention is i finally saw toy story 4 now i know joe you don't hold the toy story movies on the same pedestal as everyone else you're kind of a bit like yeah they're okay and i think that the first three are masterpieces and that I have a very strong emotional connection with all of them. Alas, Toy Story 4, I had a Joe Stapleton reaction to. I was very much, it's fine. But I think the fact that it won the Oscar for Best Animated Film this year just speaks volumes about the competition. Um, I was going to say, was there anything else that really even held up against that? I don't think there was. The biggest problem with this movie is that it is dependent on you liking and finding charming a plastic spork that's been turned into a child's toy. And I'm sorry, this character, in inverted commas, did not work for me at all. Just became an irritation. And that's why I don't think the film worked for me. And the other big problem is it was all, all about Woody, Tom Hanks. And He's not my favorite character at all. And the other Toy Story movies, even though absolutely it's Woody and Buzz front and center, they've been ensemble pieces. And it's as much about the other toys, the other characters, and their quirks, personalities, and their, their kind of uh, subplots. This was all about Woody, and I'm sorry, it just did not work for me at all. 
I cannot believe we just spent that much time talking about a kids' movie about toys. You're talking but the about others like char- are not kids' movies. They're movies character. that appeal to everyone, and they have underlying themes of what it is to grow up, what it is to leave your past behind, what it is to to want to be a real boy one day. Okay, well, let's talk about adult movies then, <laughs> Mister well, Poker Consultant. Not that, not that adult. Uh, yes, so I did get to uh, to Mississippi on Sunday. I will tell you this: Mississippi is very Mississippi. The very first stop we made was a flea market, uh, full of MAGA gear and uh, uh, deep fried Twinkies and lots of knives for sale. I met a thirty-seven-year-old grandfather, and a yeah, that is correct. And a Jeep Grand Cherokee was described to me as a foreign imported car. So this is the kind of thing that is happening uh, so far in Mississippi. My first day on set was a relatively intense one. We had a 7.30 call time. Uh, it was my job to set the decks uh, for the first uh, hand they were going to be shooting. Wow. Which was um, interesting. Now, I wasn't prepared to have all this responsibility. I didn't realize that I was the one that I had to tell all the players at the table, uh, please don't play with these decks. Uh, and to uh, remember what their chip stacks were, uh, which I didn't realize to do until it was too late. Uh, luckily, the first couple of shots were were wide shots, so it wasn't really that big of a deal. But they hired some background actors who are like locals from the casino. Okay, so they're actual uh, poker players then. Yeah, poker players, but, you know, no offense, but like Mississippi poker players, um, you know, folks who are, you know, they they have one table running in this particular casino most of the time. It's like a one-two table. Uh, I did interact with all three of the main actors on the first day. Uh, Oscar was at the table. Oh, uh, I see. Tiff- we're, just, we're just using first names now, are we? Sorry, I feel it felt more. I was going to get fucked either way. If I said Oscar Isaac, you'd have been like, oh, name dropping Oscar. I was going to get screwed no matter what. Yes. Oscar Isaac was at the table uh, and Tiffany Haddish and Ty Sheridan are having a conversation uh, while they watch him. Uh, It was really cool. I got to go. I had to go up to each of them and sort of explain what it was that they were talking about just so I knew that they understood sort of the terminology they were using, which they which they all did. It was not that big of a deal. So did the conversation Uh, go something like this? So, so Oscar, when you get dealt uh, King Jack, you go, hey, I've got Kojak. Is that the kind (laughs) of terminology that you're uh, putting into this movie? So I'm, I am going to try to get them to uh, to sneak the word hold cards in there somewhere <laughs> at some point, just as like the greatest Easter egg of all time. Um, I did get in the way a bunch of times, unfortunately. Is this because um, there's a camera and you just can't help yourself? If there's a camera anywhere near you, you're just kind of like, oh, hello, lens. It's more like I have no idea what is in shot and what isn't. So like I've, I was like, to clear this set. Joe, you're still in shot. Fuck. Um, and then, uh, but there's always one James, there's always one of these background, the most, probably the most interesting thing that happened all day was there was a, a, an older lady who they hired to be in this scene and she was a fucking know-it-all. She was like immediately undermining like, me, like the very Ooh. first things she was questioning my decisions, telling me this isn't how they do it. I, I think that this particular movie should have a big blind ante because that's, the current state of the poker world. And she was like, this isn't right. There's, I don't even know what this is. Every player puts in an ante and she's doing this on set while people are around, while Paul Schrader, the director is around while Oscar is sitting there. And I don't know what's the proper amount of shut the fuck up to tell her. But eventually I was just like, this is how we're going to do it. And at one point she started telling Oscar what to do. And that was a big no-no. Luckily, um, that was towards the end of the scene. Uh, long day. The, the the setting of the decks was pretty stressful. Um, just so were you, given, that, were you given complete carte blanche to basically come up with whatever hands you thought would work best to create the dramatic scenario that the writer-director wanted? Not exactly. The, the, the writer director had an idea of what, how he wanted the hand to go down. And it was just up to me to make sure that that worked. Okay. That that was, he was said, would this work? Is this a scenario that will work? And I can tell you there are no casino Royale 
um, insane, crazy scenarios. I mean, and what Joe, I like- Joe, that would be the ultimate Easter egg. If suddenly <laughs> some guy moves all in with a flush, some guy calls all in with a full house, another guy overshoves with a better full house, and then a guy slow rolls with a straight flush. That did not happen, and not. I don't think this is really a spoiler for the movie. What I really like about this movie is the poker is fairly inconsequential to the story of this movie. Um, I, I think that when you have a movie where the story hinges on what happens at the table, there's only a few things that can happen. Yeah. You can win, you can lose, you can suck out, you can get sucked out on, and, and none of that really matters for this story. So one, that takes some pressure off of me. Uh, and two, I think it just makes for a better story overall. What happens off the table in this movie is what is more interesting. Of course. And I will probably disown you and never be able to work with you again if when I go to see this film, it concludes with Ty Sheridan folding aces so that Oscar Isaac <laughs> can win. I've made it clear that that is the ending to two different poker movies, so <laughs> I can almost guarantee that will not be happening at the end of this movie. I'll have more stories uh, when 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 I'm done with this job. I'm a little nervous to uh, to share too much because I don't want to necessarily, you know, um, a friend of mine hired me for this movie, that kind of thing. So I want to make sure that I do right by everyone here and sort of get everything approved. And given that I have to, I actually have to run out. <laughs> fuck i actually have to run out right now um to deal with something having to do with this obviously i think i'll be back for super fan because um it's hard to play against me without me but james if you could uh i don't know if you're gonna do the game with elliot or not right don't at the very least just approach this with the amount of skepticism that i would over the 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 mental floss of uh, mind over muscle. Health and fitness part two. Our roles have already reversed. The irony is, Joe, I actually think, judging on your current condition, you could genuinely benefit from this section of the show. Because I, know. I think you could do with some basic mental exercises to reduce your stress levels. But uh, you run off and go and help out Oscar and Paul <laughs> and Ty. And, uh, and, and we'll speak to you uh, when it's super fan time. Oski, I'll be right there, buddy. Poker in the ears. Okay, so here I am flying solo for Health and Fitness Part 2, Mind Over Muscle. Uh, Very pleased to welcome to Poker in the Ears, someone who we really should have had on a long time ago. Um, How did Joe describe him at the start? Mental mentor to poker players. I love that. Uh, Elliot Rowe, welcome to the podcast. I'll let you describe yourself, Elliot. What is your official title? Hey, James. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I'm a performance coach, um, and predominantly I use hypnotherapy as my modality. Um, it's an interesting trade. I'm interested in your story. How did you get into coaching? How did you get into hypnotherapy? Uh, in hypnotherapy, I actually had a pretty significant fear of flying. Uh, so, you know, there were times I'd turn down long haul flights because I just didn't want to get on the plane. Um, and if I was doing a short haul flight, I would basically spend the week before the vacation feeling uncomfortable. And then the whole vacation worrying about the fact I have to get on a plane to go home again. Uh, so it was impacting my life quite a lot. And someone recommended hypnotherapy. Went to a hypnotherapist and she managed to resolve it in an hour, which sort of blew my mind. Um, this is a decent amount of time ago. It's probably yeah. 15 years ago now. And because of the impact it had on my life and, and also the fact that I really I liked the way it worked, it made a lot of sense to me as to why it would have worked. I went and got trained in it, and I was sort of expecting it to be, you know, help out friends and family if they had phobias and started working with clients. And it just all sort of grew from there, and it became my main business. And, um, yeah, then a friend who you know, Francine, uh, she was working in poker um, and she was talking about poker players tilting. And at the time, I was working with um, some golfers and I was helping them deal with stress and parts and things. And it sounded like the same situation. Uh, so I just went on some forums and I offered some free sessions to poker players just to test the concept. This is about 10 years ago. Um, 
had a lot of success with those players. And then from there, within poker, it grew and grew. And I've been fortunate enough to, to end up working with some of the best players in the world. And I think together now they've won over $80 million. So it's been quite the ride in poker for sure. Okay, there's a lot to unpack there. The first thing is I love the fact that you went to a hypnotherapist. Within an hour, you were cured. And you're like, well, this seems like a piece of piss. I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was more like, wow, I want to be able to help people yeah. that way. It, it was just this idea of like, okay, you know, the logic is that, you know, I had some memories in my past. Um, the story is basically, um, I, I brought up a memory that I didn't remember beforehand, before the session, uh, being in my grandfather's, seeing a photo on the wall of a small plane and being told that his business partners had been killed in it. And I was about three or four years old. From that point forward, planes to me were a really dangerous thing. Wow. Um, once that memory had come up and the therapist had worked me through it, um, I felt very different about flying. I spoke to my mom afterwards and said, you know, was that real? Did that actually happen? And she said, yes, of course it was. You, know, you remember that, uh, which really I didn't remember it. Um, and it sort of all fit all the pieces of the puzzle together that something that happened in childhood for a good reason made me very scared of flying. Once that was resolved, I wasn't scared of flying anymore. So the, sort of, the logic of it just fit. It just made sense. And yeah, then like decided that, hey, if this works for me and it's changed my life, I can now travel. I want to be able to help other people. And then I decided to go along the performance route because, you know, people have fears of failure, fears of success, procrastination issues, focus issues. All of those can be dealt with in the same way because typically, you know, it's people holding themselves back from something that, you know, some kind of limiting belief that they created in childhood patterns. I'm interested in what your mindset was when you went into that session though all those years ago was there any skepticism in your mind was there kind of like I, I, was, I was i was very skeptical which is yeah. quite funny um so yeah i went in skeptical i was like well i mean i may as well give it a try i really hate flying um and you know one of the things about working with poker players you can imagine you know i'm working with poker players and professional athletes and business people i, I would be surprised if any of them aren't skeptical on the first session yeah so you know that many of the people coming in are almost going to like be doubting your ability. Oh, oh 95 to 99% I would assume. I mean, that's weird, isn't it? That someone's coming to you from help for help, but they don't actually believe that you can help them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. Um, I, I guess you just get used to it. As I say, I was exactly the same, so I can't blame them if I treated it the same way myself. Um, now, you mentioned the bizarre connection that we have. Um, Francine Watson is the executive producer of this show and of Pokestar's live streams. I always refer to her as the official Joe Stapleton joke filter. Um, so you go back years with Francine. This is, this is not a poker connection for you. No, no, it's not a poker connection. I've known Francine since childhood. So um, she was more of a connection to poker, in, in, not in terms of you know, telling me to work with specific people, but just bringing me an awareness of the impact that mental game can have on poker players. Now, I remember, Elliot, the very first poker podcast, if you like, that you ever recorded, your live poker mindset recording, um, which I think I was one of the guinea pigs you tried it on back sort of 10 or, 10 or 11 years ago now. And I still have it. And I still do listen to it, normally on planes when I'm trying to get to sleep. And I kind of hope that it's going to do something to me subconsciously. Did you think at that stage that this would become your main career? Or was this kind of, did you think this is going to be like a sideline project? This is going to be one of the many things that I do? Um, I, I think when it first started out, I, I definitely thought this, this is a fun experiment. Yeah. So, so that's how I was viewing it in those early days. But... It was relatively fast that I was seeing the impact it had on players. So it didn't take long. Probably within six months, I realized, you know, guys were getting very different results very quickly. Um, and once I saw people making a lot more money, I realized that this has the scope to be a serious business because as soon as you're improving people's bottom line, they start recommending to your friend, them to you to their friends, and then it grows and grows. And I saw that quite early on, but before the whole project, I saw it as, oh, this will be a fun experiment. I wonder what will happen. I mean, I guess it, it also has helped that within the last decade and certainly within the last few years, there's 
very much a focus in poker on on the mental aspect of the game and and for want of a better phrase training your brain yeah and um you know i like to think i'm part of that <laughs> really <laughs> because you know the the truth of it is that you know there's me and there's a few other mindset coaches as well and a lot of the very top players in the game um, noticed big shifts in their win rates once they started working with myself or one of the other mental coaches, mindset coaches. And, um, you know, I think we're all part of something here where as soon as players see that something is effective for someone else, you know, it's an arms race. They're going to try it as well. And I think that's been a big part of that shift in the industry. I mean, are you allowed, I don't know what the deal is with kind of hypnotherapist, patient confidentiality, are you allowed to name any of the poker players you've worked with, any of your celebrity clients? Um, yeah, I can name people who've given me testimonials, and, and it's public. So, um, Fedor Holtz was probably the, the biggest name that, that I worked with. Um, Alex Foxen is one player of the year twice in a row. Scott Blumstein I worked with for his win of the main event. Um, Brian Rast. Um, Olivia Biscay, um, Daniel Devores, who won the Super Roller Bowl this year. Um, but there's been quite a, there's been a lot. <laughs> Sorry to anyone that I didn't miss out on that no, very quick I mean, But there's, the, yeah, it's, it's been sort of a, a who's who over the last few years um, of guys who've done well and performed well at the high stakes. And bearing in mind that most of the people listening to this podcast are following the poker scene very closely. I, I struggle that anyone hasn't heard an interview with one, at least one poker pro where they haven't name dropped you and talk about working with Elliot Rowe or Elliot Rowe helped me in this direction. So you, you, you're kind of like people are aware of your existence as part of the overall kind of poker industry now. I, I would think so. Um, you know, it's been a decade now. And, and like I say, it's, it's been some of the guys who've been on some of the biggest runs in poker in that last decade. Um, and that gets matches. And I'm assuming that it isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. People are coming to you with different problems, and the solutions to those problems are bespoke. Uh, well, the solution's bespoke, but for each individual, I, I believe the process is the same in that you're bringing your issues to the table rather than the table creating the issues. So it's not the fact that you know your ace has got cracked that it's the problem. The problem is that you have an entitlement issue due to something else that has happened in your life that makes it hard for you to process aces being cracked. Um, so the process is always understanding where the irrational behavior comes from. So that type of process is the same, but the issue presented and the memories or the issues that come up are all very different for each individual. Um, but you know the. My concept in all cases is you're bringing your problems to the table. We have to fix them where they are. Um, I can't just tell you to not be angry about your races being cracked. I mean, before you went down the road of specializing in poker as a, as a performance coach, how much research did you have to do? Because I imagine it would have been incredibly awkward if you're trying to help someone with their game and you're like, yeah, what about that flop thing, eh? Yeah, I mean, I, I read a lot of books, and um, it was a big reason why I started off offering free sessions. Yeah. Um, you know, and obviously, as you can imagine, you know, a decade ago, offering free sessions, you get a lot of people reaching out if you offer work for free. Yes. <laughs> so, so I was sort of surrounding myself with poker players at that time, and you pick up the language um, relatively easily once, once you immerse yourself in anything. Um, but there was definitely an education um, not having come from the poker world and, and then specializing more. And I, I've really found, because now I actually work in a lot of other areas, probably a little bit more than poker. I'm probably working more with businessmen and women now um, than poker players in general. Um, and it, it's that same switch again where you know I'm learning about how people are you know, buying and selling companies and things like that. So again, it's learning that language seeing them seeing the issues but ironically whether it's a poker player ufc fighter rugby player small street trader um, it all comes down to these programs that we created as children generally are holding us back telling us we're not good enough we don't deserve whatever it is that we're looking for um, and then just working through those issues and do you find yourself playing the game yourself at all uh, sometimes badly so if you see <laughs> 
you see me in Las Vegas, <laughs> get position on me. I highly recommend it. Um, I enjoy poker for fun. Um, but another thing that became clear to me really early on is that if you want to be a world-class poker player, if you want to take the game seriously, you have to invest a huge number of hours. Um, and I, you know, I believe my career is exactly the same. I invest an awful lot of time in working with clients, researching um, you know, the processes and, and working on myself as a coach. And you know, I, I, I prefer seeing poker for me as something fun and recreational and I'll leave the taking it really seriously to the pros who have the time and energy to, to put into improving in the game. Where is home for you these days then? Uh, home now is Salt Lake City in Utah. Um, I married an American and um, she, we, we lived in Vegas for a few years. And we had um, some twin daughters and decided that Las Vegas might not be the best place to bring up twin daughters. Yeah. <laughs> so, so took the, the one hour flight to Utah. And, so uh, a commutable yeah, but, distance from the poker exactly. capital of the world, but far <laughs> exactly. enough away removed that you can actually be a normal human being. Exactly. Yeah. So. Uh, Although you should point out you're not currently in Salt Lake City, you're currently on holiday in Hawaii and we're obviously very grateful that you've given up your time while on vacation to talk to us, Elliot. And uh, just so everyone knows, that's not the ocean in the background, that's the air conditioning unit. (laughs) Powering away, because you're in a part of the world that currently requires air conditioning. Yeah, I'm very fortunate. It's right now. Yeah, pretty, pretty warm outside. Now, it's a shame that Joe can't be here for multiple reasons. The main one being that I know that he, like many of your customers, is quite sceptical. I mean, what can you tell us about the process of hypnotherapy without giving away your secrets? Um, well, I mean, I can explain the whole process. Um, the, the way to view it is um, nothing like stage hypnosis. So the work that I do as a hypnotherapist isn't anything like the stuff you see on stage or TV. And I think that's the biggest problem, Elliot, is a lot of people, as soon as they hear the hypno part of it, they immediately think of those stage shows, some of which were, shall we say, not particularly pleasant. Uh, And and that's, you know, it's not great for the industry, to be honest. Um, But it's something I have to deal with. It shares a name. And people, you know, people should be right to be skeptical if they think that they can turn up and I can make them dance or whatever else. I can't. It doesn't work like that. The better way of framing hypnotherapy in the performance context or therapy context is seeing it like a form of guided meditation. So you get very relaxed. You go through a meditation process like you would um, if you were listening to Headspace or something along those lines where you scan through your body and relax yourself. And then when you get into that very relaxed state, with meditation, you're looking to release any thoughts that come and sort of clear your mind. Another thought comes and clear your mind. Typically, that's what mindfulness meditation is. In hypnotherapy, we use that same state to instead of clearing the mind, focusing in very strongly on a particular emotional feeling that we need to resolve. And when you're in that state and you start focusing in on those emotions, that's when it starts bringing up the memories and sort of hacking into the subconscious. Um, so, I mean, so that's what the process is. It's, it's not, there's nothing magical about it. It's just a natural process that we can put ourselves in if we take the right steps to do it. And I don't want to kill off your business model, but are there any general tips that you offer to people for free who are dealing with the common problems that poker causes? That feeling that you're always unlucky, that, that, that feeling that somehow uh, you're the one who always suffers the bad beat and, and go, go massively on tilt whenever something doesn't go in your direction and you start playing terribly? Um, yeah, of course. I mean, the first thing would be really be aware of your results. Um, most players, if you're a professional player, certainly, um, you've been living off the game and Usually a lot of the time, if they print off their lifetime graphs and have it on the wall next to them when they play, they'll see that that particular bad beat or hand has absolutely no relevance to the grand scheme of things in their play. So that can be a useful tip if you're a successful online player. Another thing to be aware of and and a way that I like people to frame it in their mind is really try and view yourself as the casino if you're a winning poker player, allowing gamblers to play against you. And 
thinking just like the casino isn't particularly concerned when someone hits blackjack, um, you know, you need to treat it the same way yeah. as someone hits that hand that they play poorly and, and they get there in the end because you're, you're just the right side of the bet. This time it hasn't worked. But if you're the stronger player, you're making money over time. So it's changing your mindset to I'm looking to make money over the quarter or over the year, just like the casino would. Whereas a gambler is worried about the individual hands or individual sessions. So it's very key that you make yourself the casino in that dynamic rather than being the gambler in that dynamic. And I found that to be a useful thought process for poker players to use and take to the tables. It's a good way of looking at it. Now, the other reason why I'm particularly disturbed at Joe Stapleton's absence is every guest who comes on this podcast is forced to play one of Joe's stupid games. And Joe has sent me the game that he wants you to play. The problem is... I have to deliver it, and you okay. have to suffer through it, and I'm going to take the blame for this awfulness. The game is called Mental Glossary, uh. and basically, <laughs> the aim of the game is to match the mental disorder description with its name or vice versa. Overcomplication, again, is inherent in everything that Joe comes up with. Um, so they're all multiple choice questions, Elliot, and all I will say is if you come out of this badly, it's not your fault. It's all on him. Um, so, as Joe would say, here we go. Question number one. Those who suffer from boanthropy believe they are cows, teacups, magician's assistants, or snakes? I'm going to say snakes. No, it's cows. Okay. I guess the Boan oh, is a bit bovine. like bovine, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, well, let's see, uh, let's see if we can get you on the board with question number two. What is a Capgrass delusion? Is it thinking you're living out the movie It's a Wonderful Life? Thinking everyone in your life has been replaced by doubles? Thinking all plants are constantly crying? Or thinking the movie Pool Hall Junkies is actually good? Is it the uh, thinking people are doubles? In your it is. So you're one and one. And that's as, that, that's as good as a win. That's as good as a win. Um, I apologize. There are seven of these. And <laughs> okay. we're only on question number three. Someone who is suffering from a cotard delusion is someone who believes themselves to be president of the United States, trapped on a desert island, capable of flight, or dead. Dead. Correct, and you are two and one. Question four. An extremely odd temporary mental disorder that causes one to become completely overwhelmed while visiting the city of Paris is called Paris Syndrome, Francophysitis, Parisia Amnesia, or Parisophilia? Parisophilia? No, it's Paris Syndrome. And that's actually one I've heard of. And apparently it's it's quite common with tourists from the Far East. Really strange. It is very strange. Uh, question number five. Tied game. Two and two. Stendhal syndrome takes place when a person is overwhelmed by large amounts of fish and marine life, brie and other soft cheeses, salt and pepper, or art and beauty. So it is, and we're back to having a winning score, three and two. There is no guarantee, by the way, that any of these answers are legitimate and or <laughs> correct. I have to trust Joe's research skills, and he's okay. also dependent on Wikipedia, and as we say time and time again, you can't trust Wikipedia as a source. Question number six, the penultimate question. Factitious disorder is one in which sufferers are compelled to be naked, truthful, Ill or contrarian? Contrarian. It is not contrarian, it is ill. So it all comes down to the final question, three and three. Are you going to be a winner? The honest answer being is there are no winners here. The syndrome, more commonly referred to as hoarding, is named after which minimalist Greek philosopher? Is it Diogenes, Hemogenes, Hemogenes, I can't even say it. Hemogenes, dirty knees, or pass the pasta, please. Pass the 
Uh, I'm going to say the second one. He should have gone for the first one. Oh, there we go. I, I threw you with my there. inability to read option number two. Um, Elliot, I'm so sorry about that. And Joe apologizes in his absence. Thank you for being a good sport. Thank you for sparing time while you are on holiday and uh, providing us with the meat and potatoes of our health and fitness two mind over muscle special. Thanks so much for having me. One of them loves the EPT, knows it inside out, and would do anything for the European Poker Tour. The other one is Joe Stapleton. It's Superfan versus Stapes. I'm not going to lie to you, I'm a little bit nervous about this segment because if Joe isn't back, it's going to be unmitigated disaster. <laughs> I'm here. Oh, thank God for that. Thank God for that. Uh, Ian Taylor, welcome to Poker in the Ears. Thank you for having me, guys. I'm excited to be on the podcast. We're excited to have you. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And before we get into your thing, I want to say that in rewatching Snatch, uh, I liked it. This is a uh, look. Maybe other people say it's not a good movie. This is a fun movie. It's really well written. I think it's it. It's uh, manages to make all these like criminals likable. It's got a clever plot. I, I'm for it. I am giving this a thumbs up even later on in life. Okay, Ian. I assume you're a fan. I'm definitely a fan. I think I think Stapes nailed it. The characters are great. The writing's great, and I think you should give it another watch. Okay, all I'm going to say is, we've got an American and a Canadian, yeah. like it. The Brit, not so much. Um, it's to be honest with you, I, I, I think it's fine. I just people got a little bit too over enthusiastic about Guy Ritchie movies of the late '90s, early 2000s. I think it's fine. Uh, I'll give you that. I will say this: I, it's got to be up there for great Brad Pitt roles, though. Is there any chance, Joe, that your view on it might be distorted? by what we've had to endure over the last two weeks. <laughs> Maybe. I was like, wow, this movie's completely coherent. The director knows <laughs> what he's doing, at least. Like, the one thing I really appreciate about Guy Ritchie is that he's not lazy. Um, he really does put a lot of effort. Maybe sometimes the writing's lazy, but as far as, like, you know, the different s styles of shots and the way he incorporates music. You know, you have Brad Pitt splashing in the water and the way he, he runs those camera shots down the side of the guns. Um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of appreciate little extra bells and whistles like that, as opposed to a movie like Pool Hall Junkies, which was like, you know, barely committed to film. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. So, Ian, the deal is that Joe's already big-timed me once today, so we are kind of pushed for time. But crucially... Tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us the Ian Taylor life story. Oh, the whole life story, eh? I'll, I'll keep it short. Um, I live in Vancouver, BC. I'm a computer programmer. Not a competitive poker player, but I do have a regular home game that I play in. Um, one of those loose ones where everyone plays any two cards. Nice. Um, yeah, sometimes. Um, I voted for both you guys in all of Dean Egg's polls but way back when he's trying to who the best commentators were. Um, and you guys, your uh, EPT coverage inspired me to make a Twitter account, for better or for worse. I'm sorry, I... and thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah, don't read Twitter. Just to... I treat Twitter like my butthole. It's mostly for things going out, but occasionally, if you're very special, I'll let it in. On that note, and let's move on. <laughs> on that note, let's do the game. Absolutely. So, uh, this is broken down into three rounds. The first round is called Who Plays? And here's how it works, Ian. There are four questions. The first two are easier than the second two. So, if you pick one or two... You can only score a single point, but if you pick three or four, you could score two points. So which number would you like? Uh, let's go big and start with three. Okay. Who plays Bricktop? Uh, I don't know. Joe, you can steal if you know the answer. I do not know it off the top of my head either. Okay. The actor's name is Alan Ford. So, Joe, do you want to go easy or do you want to go hard? I'll go easy. One or two? One. Who plays Frankie Fourfingers? Benicio Del Toro. For one point. So, Ian, you've got a bit of a mind game to play here. You can take the easy question and potentially score one point and give Joe the toughie, or try and take an early lead by going for the tough question yourself. Let's let's go for question two. Who plays Cousin Arvi? Um, 
Dennis Farina. He does for one point. So, Joe, you get question four. Who plays Sol? Uh, the guy from The Walking Dead. That's not his name. Damn it. If you don't know, Ian can steal. I do not know. Ian? No, I don't know. Sol the either. guy from The Walking Dead is called Lenny James. So, the next round, all questions are equal. You can go one, two, three, or four, Ian. It's whose line is it? So, identify the character who said the line, and so I don't give anything away, I will read each individual quotation in received pronunciation. So, would you like one, two, three, or four? Let's start with number one. I don't want that dog dribbling on my seats. That is uh, the getaway driver. Uh, what's his name? That's the question. Yep, yep, yep. I, I'm not sure. Joe? Vinny. No, his name is Tyrone. Your question, Joe, two, three, or four? Two, please. Heavy is good. Heavy is reliable. That is Boris the Blade. It is for a point. Question three or question four, Ian? Three. Get back down or you will not be coming up next time. That's gorgeous, George. That is gorgeous, George, for a point, which means, Joe, you get question four. I'm fucking telling you, it's two black guys who work off a pawn shop in fucking Smith Street. Um... Oh, yeah, um, the Scottish guy um, uh, with the tie. Uh, I don't remember this character's name, though. Ian? Is it Mutt? What did you say? Mutt? No, it's Mullet. Oh. So we have a tied game going into the trivia round. Two points each. Six trivia questions, multiple choice options available. Two points if you don't take the options, one point if you do. Ian, one, two, three, four, five, or six? Uh, six. Question number six. Oh, you picked a hard one. What is the name of the pub Tony and Arvi go to after their car accident? Yeah, I don't know. You can take the multiple choice options. I'll take the options. Yeah. Is it the Cock and Bull, the Woolpack, the Drowning Trout, or the White Horse? What was the second option again? The Woolpack. Let's go with that one. That's the pub from Emmerdale. It was the Drowning Trout. Joe, one through five available. Uh, I'll go with five. I actually knew that one. What type of gun does Bullet Tooth Tony carry? He carries a Desert Eagle. He does for two points. Joe has a 4-2 lead. Ian, one, two, three, or four? One. Which Madonna track is Bullet Tooth Tony a fan of? Lucky Star. Correct for two points. Tied game. Joe, two, three, or four? I would not have known that one. Go number two, please. According to Turkish, where do diamonds come from? Antwerp. Correct for two points. And we reach the final round. Question three or question four? Question three. In which round of the fight is Mickey supposed to go down? The fourth. Correct for two points. So, Joe. You only need one point to win. It's a tied game. Your question, what is the name of Bricktop's main henchman? Uh, it's Errol. It is Errol for two points. And Joe, it's been a long time coming, but we have a victory on Superfan versus Stapes for Mr. Stapleton. Ian sounds like such a nice boy, and he got up extra early and a fucking beat him and i can't i'm so upset with myself don't be i'm glad uh glad i could deliver a win with a decent movie ultimately ian it's all about the merch more than anything else and you get the t-shirt from the poker in the ears range so we'll be in touch to get your preferred design and preferred size uh thank you very much for coming on the show and picking a movie that wasn't horrific all right thanks guys thanks ian appreciate you buddy you too bye All right.
right, my babies, we're almost out of time for this week's show. Uh, sorry, I had to dip out for a second. I really do. I feel insanely guilty about it. Um, I will go back and listen to it, though, because, man, oh, man, is my brain going to need some help after this. <laughs> I might actually fucking hire Elliot, honestly. Coming up next week, we're going to be coming at y'all a day later than normal, Friday rather than Thursday, so that this doesn't happen again, so that I don't have to dip out in the middle of the show. The Global Poker Awards are this Friday. Yeah. Next week, we are going to talk all about them. Hopefully talk to one of the winners, if not, maybe someone who is heavily involved with the entire process. Did we even talk about me being nominated? Yes, we did, Joe. We mentioned that you had a nomination on the week that Will Shillabier and I uh, and I were discussing the fact that we had not been nominated. How do we how do we like my chances? I don't. JK all the way. Jamie Kerstetter <laughs> is going to take it down. You are done. By the way, um, I have to warn you in advance. Next week's superfan subject oh, is Battlefield Earth. What the fuck, people? What are you doing to us? You're supposed to like us. Don't pick bad films as your specialist subject. James sent me an insanely long email about like our plans for doing all the podcasts for like the next month and a half. And he had all these questions. What are we going to do here? What guests <laughs> are we going to have there? What are we going to talk about this show? And I just wrote back two words. Battlefield Earth. I am not... <laughs> Look, I've avoided this movie for 20 fucking years. Now I'm going to have to watch it. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm just I'm I'm just worried cuz to be fair to Greg last week's superfan, he was right. At least Hudson Hawk was easy to find. I've just had a sudden thought what if this movie is impossible to track down? I live right next door to the Scientology Celebrity Center. I can just go knock on the door and ask them for a copy. Battlefield no, not Battlestar Galactica. Battlefield Earth. Search. Um, Is it coming up? The It's not on iTunes. It's not on iTunes. Great. Nope. It might be, Amazon has a little bit more than iTunes does. Let me check Amazon Prime Video. I actually watched Snatch for free on Prime Video with commercials. Huh. All right, let's see. Battlefield Earth. Okay, 2.5 out of 10 on IMDb. That's what I'm finding at the moment. Oh, God. Uh, yes, I can rent it on Amazon Prime for $3. Boom. Okay, good. We're sorted. Yay. Uh, so, yes, that's the <laughs> Superfan subject. Global Poker Awards summary. Recording on a Thursday. Releasing on a Friday. That's basically a summary of what's happening next week. And more anecdotes from the film, hopefully. Guys, thanks a lot for dealing with my schedule. I do appreciate it. We are all out of time for this week's show. Don't forget to comment, like, and subscribe. Give us a hand. Until next time, though, for James Hardigan, I am Joe Stapleton. Smell you later. Smell you later.